Hey, Daniel, how's it going? Hey, Evan. Uh, you'll hear my voice sounds a little bit different. I think I've caught something here in the winter weather. I've been doing my best for Friday recording. How about you? Not bad. Not bad. It's been the early Friday morning. Um, several meetings already. So, yeah. Speaking of that, it's our last episode of season two. Uh, it's kind of crazy how it's already gotten here. We are taking a unique approach this episode. Curious how this is going to go. I think we'll sit back at the end and either laugh or say it went really well. <laughs> Do you want to maybe give our audience a little bit of a taste for what's coming up? Yeah, so we figured we would recap for all of you kind of the year, what we've been up to the last few months, uh, and uh, because we pre-banked several episodes, and then give you a little teaser on what's to come this uh, coming year. So speaking of, uh, so Daniel, what have you been up to (laughs) in the last few months uh, that's taken us away from working on the pod? So I think we mentioned maybe a few episodes, not maybe more than a few episodes ago, that I was open to work and I am no longer open to work. I have not been open to work since it feels like September. I think that's about right. I've been working in an interim leadership capacity as a revenue integrity director. It's a new hat for me. I have a lot of epic experience. I have a lot of operations. I guess you could call it experience with working with operations, but I've never been in operations and uh, getting to run the ship of a revenue integrity department. So that's been what's new for me. Yeah, that uh, it, it's kind of fun to watch you in this new capacity of like, hey, doing something that's kind of old hat for me and for Gretchen and a few other of our Wilshire team members. Um, it It's kind of fun and exciting. And it's it, it's interesting, too, because you have an engagement, right? With a, a like in your interim capacity, you're not only servicing as a taking care of a client, but in that role, but uh, you're also kind of the client for us at the same time. It sounds like a little bit. I go through my week almost forgetting that I work with Wilshire because <laughs> all my conversations are with the client and Every once in a while, there's a project that Wilshire is also working on the client and I'm their main counterpart, which is weird. I'll have these meetings and like I was talking with Gretchen on one of them. I was like, I'm going to put on my Wilshire hat for a moment, like as a Wilshire employee and give you an answer. And then going back to the client mode <laughs> and being uh, a revenue integrity director for a client. And I will say the learning has been has been really fun. I, I pride myself on like system knowledge and how things should work, but... There was some very early experiences for me when somebody was asking me about like a 59 modifier and I had no clue what that was. Um, And that's something I should know. (laughs) And or like what an RT modifier is and why that's important for a claim. And over time, it's been a lot of picking up on the little things that probably I've looked seen before in my old world. Like you see, look at a claim and you see this and that, but you never really stopped and thought to yourself, what is this and why should I care about it? And who decides on that? But with the amount of questions and decisions you have to make in an operational role, you pretty quickly pick up on a lot. Yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. And even how much you already know, I mean, if you like step back right like you know how to load contracts into the system so being able to review those contracts and understand it i mean it I, when it for the listeners like 
while you hear Daniel and I talk a lot about like working with clients or our, or what ventures we've been partnering on, I, I have like the weird little side gig at the at the Wilshire group. I'm the director over our advisory services team. So when we're when we get a new engagement, part of my role is to work with senior leadership on looking at our full time team who's on the bench, and then also looking at my advisory services team members who are on the bench and trying to pair the right, the right advice, senior strategic advisor with the right client for the right role. And this one was fun because uh, I remember Gretchen coming to me and being like, hey, uh, so who who do we have in our pipeline and who do we have on the bench and what are you thinking? And, you know, I, um, normally we would have probably thrown me over to the fence for this role. Uh, but I was like, hey, we got Daniel and we also have Tony uh, Bartucci, who's one of our other senior strategic advisors. And both have really good knowledge. It's more about going in and being able to work with a team, understand um, and, and know how to leverage people and, and call out. So when Gretchen was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's present it to both of them, see if either one are interested and then let's ask the client. And I think it's great. I mean, I've watched you grow just in this capacity in such a short amount of time. And I think that you're when we're having internal team meetings now about revenue integrity projects and, and other clients and stuff, it's fun to watch you like slide in and start to be able to fully engage in the conversation. You know, we're not just we're not just saying words that are like <laughs> virtual words out there anymore. You're actually able to like fully engage in the conversation. So that's been fun as well. Um, I think it also, you know, I think it goes back to, as we've been asking our um, guests, you know, what are they most accomplished? What kind of where did their career path go? Um, did you ever see yourself like having to slide into actual revenue cycle operations versus IT operations? Or, you know, where did where as you've gone on your journey, where did you see your kind of self populating now? That's a good question. I've been in IT operations before, so IT management, managing analysts, and in some ways, I mean, I don't want to say it's a it's a glorified ticketing system, but a lot of that responsibility was I get requests and I make sure they happen. And I don't have to necessarily think too much about like what's going on. Like I, I understand the system and I, I get that to the right person to figure out. This going into rev cycle operations was something I never thought I'd be qualified for. I was like, this is not something I could ever do. So it was never on my radar to go into. I know that there's been some other folks from the Wilshire group who had a similar background to me that went into that world. I thought that was interesting and maybe something I was like, how did that happen? Like, who would ever hire them or how did they get the experience to do something like that? I'm still thinking that I'm lacking in the experience for my role, but I'm learning quickly. And thankfully, there's a lot of resources out there to help me in that capacity. I think for someone who comes from an epic background and wants to stay in the healthcare world, the traditional path in my mind is post epic, you either go into consulting or you work for a hospital in an IT capacity, whether that's as an analyst, as a manager, uh, maybe a director over an IT department. And the common pathway after that would eventually move to sort of an operations role in a hospital. Maybe like a COO would be kind of what you're aiming for right. from uh, um, if you were in that that pathway of life. Now as a consultant and now working in 
hospital operations with revenue cycle, revenue integrity, or I think the next step after this would be like what a VP of a, uh, a health system, like a rev cycle operations, which I think is a little bit of what you're doing right now. Um, yeah. If you want to speak to what you're doing. Yeah. Well, so I, I, my, for my client, I I've been with them. Well, I've been with their system for almost a year and a half now, actually. It's kind of crazy how it's flown by. Um, so I started off at one of our, uh, with the initial client, um, filling in as an executive director of revenue cycle services, the equivalent of VP. So I was over the whole hospital uh, from front end to back end, bad debt collections. Um, and filled in a, in an interim capacity. And it, it, you know, it was kind of fun and get to go and take my operational knowledge from all the different areas and still tap into all of my Wilshire counterparts and colleagues through HFMA and AHAM, um, and really be able to engage in helping just lead day-to-day operations and make changes. Um, and really it's kind of what similar to what you're doing is you're keeping the ship afloat while they, you know, recruit and look for kind of that forever per- who they would hope to be a forever person to come on board. Um, they they found that, but they found it internally, which then opened up a system wide um, executive director for revenue cycle uh, position that they needed to have somebody come in and fill. And so, really, with my client right now, I'm I'm actually like having to do things I've never done before. Um, I you know I've gone through arbitrations in a revenue integrity capacity as a ec- expert helping with data and reviewing and analytics. But I'm actually like helping coordinate um, multi health system um, uh, data gathering for um, mediation arbitration with health plans. I also am doing a ton of RFPs and RFIs. And I, you know, being on the consulting side, I, I, I've helped with, you know, internally with Wilshire, like, here's an answer to this question, or here's that to be able to respond to one. But I've never had to really create one. And even in my prior operational roles, I always had procurement who did all of that for you we had somebody who sat down with you and interviewed you and wanted that and i'm now kind of in that role of having to meet with all of the revenue cycle executive leaders across all the different campuses um because they're not a consolidated health system they they operate as one but they also operate as individual um health systems so being able to go meet with them individually and get that information and then really set their strategic plans for the year. I do a lot of strategic planning, initiative, strategy. Um, we just consolidated a whole vendor, uh, which moving, I mean, this sounds like little dollars and it really is in the big scheme of things, but going from, you know, 12 cents per transaction we were able to get a, a provider, a business provider to drop it down to three cents per transaction. I mean, that's a big savings when you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of transactions over the course of a year across five health systems. So um, that come together under one contract. So I get to play in that sandbox a little bit more and more of that strategy and having to learn things, um, working with five different CFOs, working with, uh, managed care contracting in five different spaces. And then also with the entire system wide um, marketing and communications team on some of this stuff. So it's been, it's a lot of fun and I'm learning a ton, but I never saw myself kind of in this more strategy area. You, You know, I really never even saw myself in a consulting role. I always, I think 
I've always lended to say, mm, I'm I'm okay in operations. I like to do, I like to do, I like to see, I like to uh, watch what was co completed at be the achievement. Um, but on the flip side, it, it is, it is fun to be able to step back and say, Ooh, now I get to do a little bit of strategy. Now I get to build this portion of my, my personal portfolio, but also help with the Wilshire portfolio at the same time. So I think from a learning perspective, um, it really, but these types of roles that we're filling in in the interim capacity and really also helps broaden our networking for our own future growth as individual leaders, which is kind of fun. And I've got to work with, I, I've, I'm lucky my client actually has several people from one of my former employers now uh, working there. So it's fun to be able to go work with people that I worked with, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So. I just that is myself. <laughs> that's the same for me, though, in some ways, not 10 to 15 years. But the client that I'm working with is a former client of mine. A lot of the folks from six to eight years ago when I worked there are still there. And so sometimes I'll jump on a call and they're like, oh, hey, Daniel, I haven't seen you in a long time. I'm like, yeah, it's been eight years, <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, dating myself for how long I've been in this space. This was my very first client and now it's my current client. And I don't think I would normally have the opportunity to be a revenue integrity director at this stage of my career, which again, speaks to opportunities maybe that Wilshire can provide. Uh, I have a obviously a good background in Epic and working with health systems. But if you look on paper and you're applying for a revenue integ integrity director role, you're not going to get it with the the background that I have, at least on paper. Um, but speaks to some hard work. And... Oh, go I, ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're selling yourself short. I actually think you have all the right skills for a director role from a leadership perspective. And as long as you have a solid team underneath of you and a solid team around you to lift you up, I think, you know, you know how to leverage in everybody else's skill set to figure it out. So. <laughs> I get, I, I appreciate that. I think if I was coldly or like a, just like a cold e like email or like going on a website to apply though, I think most HR folks would probably shoot me down, but I'm glad that they gave me an opportunity and we're very excited to have me on board. So what else has been going on? Uh, anything new developments? Are you uh, attending any upcoming conferences or webinar type things? I did attend a webinar yesterday for the annual updates for 2024. It's talking through CPT code changes and everything that's coming up there. Uh, we've been also looking to put together a webinar for some of the Medicare reimbursement changes coming up in the new year. So planning to attend one of those as well in the near future. A lot of it, though, is just code changes, payer reimbursement changes, trying to understand the landscape for the new year. And getting both myself and all of our staff prepared as well and making sure they're attending the webinars or getting recordings and having the resources that are available to them. I don't have any conferences per se on my schedule, but it's really using this. I don't want to call it a slow time. We have an upcoming go live uh, in like less than a month. So folks are uh, anxiously preparing themselves for probably a lot more work that's about to hit their plate. But using any free time that we can find to prepare ourselves educationally for the new year has been has been our focus. What about you? Yeah, um, 
I actually will be attending um, in January the uh, Western Region Symposium for HFMA. It's Region 11 and, and 10 come together and host a uh, conference in Vegas. Um, and I'm actually helping moderate one of the panels and I'm speaking on one of the panels uh, this year. So um, that will be a little bit of fun. I just actually also... Uh, attended uh, some OPPS training and then um, was able to partner with legal at uh, my client to really put together, um, bringing, bring all the revenue integrity directors and executive revenue cycle leaders together to give them kind of, here's the quick hits, what's going to happen with um, the upcoming Medicare changes this year, outside of just the normal CPT codes that all of our revenue integrity teams are in the trenches, but really looking at pricing transparency and what does revenue integrity need to be ready to do to publish in in July, um, the new split share additions to the split share modeling um, for physician um, and mid-level practitioners and, and their percent of time. Um, so a lot of webinars around that. There's a, upcoming reimburse, a couple upcoming reimbursement webinars that are going to be hosted um, through HFMA. Uh, I think I can officially say I'll be joining the education pan, um, committee for uh, NARI, so the National Healthcare Association of Revenue Integrity. I was selected to be on the education committee, so I'll be helping develop that. It, it, what education will be coming out of there? I think my first meeting's in January for that, so that will be a little bit of fun. And um, future a future episode where we're in the mix uh, for all of you thinking coming 2024 is around split share we're going to be bringing on two of our clients to really talk about it from a compliance perspective and then how do you leverage your system to op um to maximize uh that compliance around it and do some of the work for you especially if you're an epic um shop so i will be looking forward to that episode just for personal knowledge it's come up today actually with my client and i was like i don't know the answer to this <laughs> but i'll find out and so i guess i'll find out on our episode next year i i would also say reach out to jen uh internally if you need something sooner they've been hard at work at uh her client so i have probably five things that i'm going to jen and maybe jen if you're listening to this just know that we're going to have a lot of podcast requests for all the the niche areas of uh your expertise the coming year coding in HIM, right? <laughs> <laughs> the areas we're not the greatest at. Well, very cool. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back, everybody. Claim Capital is a team of ex-Epic staff focused on preventing denials. Instead of showing what was denied, which is the standard for other solutions available today, Claim Capital pinpoints why claims are denied. By training machine learning models on an organization's claim and remittance data, Claim Capital can identify the causes of denials and recommend changes in EHR build or workflows to prevent them from happening in the future. With a completely HIPAA-compliant infrastructure, no software implementations, and a zero-risk pricing structure, organizations can quickly and safely recover lost revenue. Are you ready to unlock the full potential of your medical coding team? Look no further than Adeo Technologies, the leading provider of medical coding productivity solutions. With Adeo's Gemini Solution Suite, medical coders are empowered and complemented with cutting-edge tools and technologies. The Gemini Coder platform, Gemini AutoCode, and Gemini Coding Assist solutions work seamlessly together, creating efficiency and improving accuracy in medical coding. 
say goodbye to tedious manual processes, cheat sheets, and memorization, and embrace the power of workflow improvements, artificial intelligence, and predictive coding. At Adeo, we believe in the collaboration between medical coders and artificial intelligence to create coding capacity that makes human coders more valuable to their healthcare organizations. Visit our website at www.adeo-tech.com. It's adeo-tech.com to learn why we love coders and how Adeo Technologies is transforming medical coding productivity one claim at a time. And we're back. All right, we're going to transition this segment to talk about just the past year of our podcast and some of the learnings that we've had. And Evan, I want you to start us out with thinking through even you can go into last season too, if you want to, but what has been something that we've talked about on the podcast, maybe that you didn't know about that's been the biggest learning opportunity for you. And if you've applied that at all and in your job, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I, you know, I think this, the biggest learning for me so far was really around I'm going to throw this out there, decision trees. Like I know enough about patient access to be over a, a group of people and like help guide. I am not nowhere near a Tim or a Patty or a Freeman or Matt um, uh, in regards of true knowledge or even like uh, Jackie Jordan, who was just on from UCSD with us in, in the last episode. Those are people with years and years of patient access experience, but Spending time with Melissa and with Matt and having them walk us through decision trees and understand really like how to leverage them and how they can be applied beyond just kind of like scheduling, but they can leverage it and plug it into my chart and go down all these different rabbit holes of how you can leverage it and then leverage that for denials prevention. It was really cool to see and, and hear and then talking with Matt and now Tim afterwards and watching like in their, when they're giving client updates or we have a client that we're actually um, filling a spot, a spot where one of my advisory people will be stepping in to help them with taking the decision tree work and then loading it into my chart. I didn't even know that was possible until like starting to head down these roads uh, through the podcast. And I don't even know if I would have ever I, I think I would have always known peripherally like, oh, yeah, we need to do that and we need to implement it. Epic says it's best practice and and you get all this benefit. But I I don't think I would have ever really understood the full benefit um, if we didn't like say, oh, you guys keep talking about this. Let's learn more. So, <laughs> um, and I think that that um, definitely has was kind of eye opening for me in that regards. How about you? I want to take a maybe a slightly different approach. I don't want to call out a specific episode, but some of the themes of the past year, I've always been gung ho about technology and being like technology is the solution for any operations problems. That's how I, I approached in the past is like in IT, I had to think of a solution with software. And as we've been having a lot of conversations about AI and we were talking with Janice and McLean Capital and hearing them think through technology as a solution for a problem or helping assist a workflow or information. And I've been taking those conversations and then applying it to my real world job of I'm having to make decisions. Are we using with like a technology platform? Are we using humans? And also what's the cost benefit of that? And 
it's had to break down my understanding or my my philosophy on software as a solution for everything and software can instead it's of uh, software can be helpful or is the cost is the cost going to be prohibitive for us um i think in, in a in a perfect world we have endless resources and we can explore all sorts of technologies and roll it out and if it doesn't work it it's okay at the end of the day, we'll go with a different one, but that's not how the real world works. And I can't just throw a technology solution at everything. And so a lot of it's been um, managing staff and getting education. And so when we're prioritizing resources thinking, okay, maybe it's better for me to not go down this AI path or this technology path right now, and instead focus my resources on educating and training my staff with the tools that we do have. Yeah, I, I think, I'm kind of in the same boat. So recently for my client, I've thrown out two RFIs there, one for coding, uh, autonomous coding, and then the other around just revenue cycle workflow automation. And it's very interesting to see who responded on these um, in the coding world. Uh, who would have ever known? Like we had 11 different responses from different vendors reaching and business partners reaching out and saying, well, we do this element or that element, or we just specialize in, you know, physician uh, coding automation. And then you have to step back and say, okay, well, is this replacing a person? Is this enhancing their workflow? How are you leveraging the technology? What is the vendor say that it's going to do? Um, you know, I not that I don't believe in an ROI of like, you know, reducing salary costs and things of that through attrition and, you know, oh, I don't have to replace somebody after they retire because the system's going to make the rest of the team more efficient. That's great. However, at the same time, I also want to honor like people, we still need people and we still need knowledge and technology does fail at times or systems go down. I was just telling you before, for the listeners, before we got started, my outlook wasn't working today. So I'm like, you know, things do, things do run into and how do we, how do we manage that to move things forward? Um, it kind of, you know, you saying about like AI and then the people versus the technology, it reminds me of what Kelly Smith said of like, how do you bring your team together to get them engaged in also wanting to adopt that technology? I mean, we could throw anything in under the sun and because we implement it, that's great. But how do you leverage it and how do you leverage your team for that and have them be early adopters versus, you know, dragging their feet at the long run? I think we were talking with Jen and Shonda earlier about, leveraging sometimes what's already there in mm -hmm. Epic. That's been something that I've been trying to think, take a, a look at as well. Like if you, somebody is proposing some new solution or some new tool, sometimes asking IT to say, is, does this exist? A lot of new things come out in your EMR. I know Epic, I don't know Cerner or some of the other solutions out there, but there's, there's all sorts of automation. A lot of it's regulated as well, or like it's, it's like, it has to be there uh, per various regulations. So sometimes asking if, something that's already exists before you go buy something <laughs> might be worth exploring. I think it's also just worth exploring to say, where's it on your roadmap? So if you don't have it, is it even on your roadmap? I mean, I know Epic's working on building out some physician coding and automation around that and, and uh, assisted coding. And 
they're pretty far along on their journey. I mean, I've seen it and seen some demos and in, in the capacity that I'm in right now um, with my client. But at the same time, is it, you know, strategically as leaders, I think we're all, we also need to step back and say, hey, I can do a short term contract and do a lift with a vendor for two to three years. And then when Epic has it, then I'm going to run parallel for, you know, six months to a year of leveraging the Epic system and the the other um, technology that I purchased and then do a phase out of that technology I purchased because now it's in all built into my company's pro- all built into one platform. I, I know I've done that in my past operational life. We did that with our um, patient estimates. We we built out certain estimate templates ahead of time for our internal teams to leverage. But for self-service pa- patient estimates, when pricing transparency first came out and needing patients to go there, a lot of people jumped right on the Epic bandwagon and went right to having patients leverage my chart. And we went the opposite direction at my organization that I was working with. We went to, let's bring a vendor in. Let's have them do this. Let's look at expected reimbursement, contracting. Let's look at the percent of how many people are actually doing it. And then that gave our true operational team time to really strategically look at contracts and build out templates versus going with the technology right away. So I think to your point, like technology is great and we should do it, but sometimes running a parallel or having a plan to like purchase with a short, short term phase out approach so that you can kind of really leverage the system you're paying for, but also give your team time to adopt of learning how to use it before you just roll it out too. So some ways it seems that our job capacity as leaders in healthcare requires us maybe more so now than in the past to really dig into contracts and technology solutions. And the like to your point, maybe there was always a procurement arm that did this in the past, but it's spilling over into our world a lot right now as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think leveraging those vendors to say, here, here's who's best in class, uh, or even, even comparing them, like uh, there's a, there's a business partner that I would love for us to get on the podcast next season as well. Um, that really does look at like, Hey, is your business partner? I mean, it's funny that they're a business partner, but d- do all your other business partners what they're actually doing or say they're going to do? Did it achieve your ROI? Is the effects of their work what they the actions that they're taking in your system actually resulting in that portion that they're supposed to get their contingency fee based off of actually is that what resulted in it or do you have a really slick person on your team that did x y and z and that's actually what's causing the those claims to get paid or um for you to achieve that roi so uh, it's kind of a novel concept but you know it definitely i think helps people step back to say hmm my team's pretty cool and awesome too. And what are they doing versus what are these solutions doing and who's actually in it is a pairing of the two, or is it, we never even realized that, you know, this one person's doing this cleanup, but how do we, how do we leverage that and do it? So. That brings up a good point. Thinking ahead to next season and who we might want to bring on just, I know you mentioned potential business partners, something that I would love that I don't know if we have as a business partner, I, when I think about AI and I think about 
areas of opportunity that I've always just seen as like a struggle or a pain point, or this is something that could be improved. Outsourcing for any sort of follow-up always in my mind is like, this could be automated. There should be better solutions around this. And there is, I mean, admittedly in my mind, every single health system I've worked with has always just been like, let's just like shift it off to some vendor to take care of. And then in my new role, actually this week, I was getting comp patient complaints about various, like the follow, like being outsourced to the, like a bad debt vendor and just the bad experience that they're having with a bad debt vendor. And I'm like, if you use like automation or some sort of AI tool, I feel like you can make this whole outsource solution better. And, and all that to say that brought me back to thinking about our podcasts and who we're bringing on for next season or topics to think about for next season. If you're a listener and want to want to join, you have a cool solution you're working on or we want to reach out about partnering with us. Like love to love to hear those topics and hear what you have to say and maybe bring you on the podcast to talk about it. But Evan, what are what are your what do you have in mind for this coming season that you maybe want to bring up to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, we definitely are trying to get more of our um, clients on with us versus bringing on Wilshire team members or even just potential business partners for out there. We want to definitely keep a pulse on where where's the industry going to continue to go with AI and who's going to be an adopter or not. I mean, we can use the name now. We all watched all of AI just tank here in October um, and leave several of their customers just fending on their own with no solutions or technology in play um, that didn't get handed off to somebody who potentially could have bought them out. So I think people, it'll be interesting to watch the potential resistance of bringing technology vendors back in uh, the space, but I think we all know we have to adopt it. Chat GPT, I think it would be cool to see where's that going to, like we know what, what, People are starting to do with that on the clinical side of healthcare, but it'll be interesting to watch to see how do how do we start to let health systems start to look at Chat GPT for leveraging on the revenue cycle side. I think outsourcing is a is a hot topic always. Like you know, you have low dollar vendors uh, for insurance collections because of the cost and how do you how do you um, reduce that cost, but they're using some form of automation because, you know, if we're not willing to staff it, they're probably not willing to staff it either. So what is that technology or is that purchasable technology that could be plugged in um, to help supplement staffing? Um, bad debt vendors, I think, you know, that's always a hot, a good hot topic. We should actually um, bring in some experts in the space of like, how do you do patient service recovery um, from a revenue cycle standpoint and have alignment with your um, patient experience teams? Um, I think we're seeing more and more of that in the industry where revenue cycle leaders and patient access or self-pay collections are sitting in these patient experience meetings so that they can learn what are their teams doing? How are they educating? So I think that would be a fun topic to talk about. Talked about split share a little bit. We plugged back in October. Claim Capital will be um, coming back on to talk about some other interesting things that they're doing with their clients. And we're trying to team up with them and one of um, our joint clients to come on and really talk about now that they've been implemented and they've been there a while, what are the impacts that they're seeing and, and where are they see, is starting to shift tech, see from a technology implementation standpoint, where are they shifting and making some modifications? Um, 
I think we talk potentially a 340B might be out there conversation that that continues to grow. Um, and then, you know, just normal updates. I I, I think we cool um, potential. We've been trying to we tried to get it on this year. We weren't able to uh, do it is the new medical um, acute medical home models uh, that CMS has approved. Um, and how is that reimbursement going to go? And how are people building out those programs? And then also, you know, industry best practice, we're starting to see a shift out there of um, revenue cycle, IT that supports revenue cycle starting to get embedded into the revenue cycle. So um, those are all kind of some of the fun topics that we have on the list. Um, we're hoping to get those going um, right after the first of the year. Um, for those listeners, we're recording this right before Christmas. So it, you'll see some Christmas marketing coming out on this one, um, if you haven't already. But we, we you know, really for us, uh, I think it'll be February when you start to hear some of these episodes actually start to drop that of these ideas that we've been coming up with. And we want your ideas. Like if you have a question or a query that definitely shoot that over to us. It helps us generate being able to find somebody to come speak on it for um, versus us doing it on our own and trying to talk it through with what we know. I'd like to hear more about reimbursement. I know 340B is something that comes up a bit and you just alluded to just like overall reimbursement. I had an interesting conversation with a pharmacy director uh, this week where we were looking at one of the drugs that they're giving to, I think it was like a chemo patient or whatnot. And we were looking at what's our reimbursement versus like the cost of the drug. And I think it was, we were making maybe some sort of margin because of 340B pricing, but without 340B pricing, it was just a loss making operation. And that was a very interesting conversation for me because I think that was the first time that this pharmacy director had ever seen reimbursement data for the drugs that they were delivering and thinking about this guy knows what his cost is. He knows I'm doing this service over and over again, but am I actually, is the hospital making money for this? Or are we just losing money every single time we, we give this to a patient and do we need to relook at contracts? Um, a lot of my job, we haven't talked about like the specifics of what I've been doing, but a lot of my work has been in supplies as well. And you think about like, what do we charge for or not charge for? And what's the cost associated with it and what's our markup and does it have a Hicks fix or whatnot and getting all that information, what's our reimbursement for that as well. And thinking through all these, these implants or all these supplies and thinking, are we actually making money on any of this? Uh, I don't know if it's something that there is a lot of, like, I can't point to a way to look at the data for that. Um, I think that would be a really cool opportunity for some sort of AI vendor to step in and be like, let's pull your supply data or your medication data, line that up to your reimbursement data and poke holes to say, am I actually making money on this? Or every time I schedule this, I'm, I know I'm going to lose two, $3,000 plus whatever time and everything else that goes into that. Um, I don't know if that's something you're aware of, but I was just thinking out loud, just yeah, absolutely. talking about operations and like the conversations I have. It's so all this stuff starts to piece together in a lot more full way than just an IT background for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, like reimbursement, there's so many ways that we can look at it and spin it. There are vendors out there that can give you like best practice pricing and where are you at and are you getting reimbursement based off of it? Um, there's people in that space, but it's how are you leveraging that knowledge? And then, and even like in pharmacy, right? There's 340B and that's how a lot of 
uh, it's helping a lot of our organizations um, out there in the industry be able to recover costs and things of that nature. But, you know, there's NTAP, the new technology for that covers usually for two to three years um, it, with appropriate diagnosis pairing to uh, medication or HICPIC CPT codes or even procedural documentation. Um, a lot of extra reimbursement add-ons for supplies, for pharmaceuticals, um, the, the device, the approach that you're using, all of those things. So th those are hot topics. I think that, you know, we could... Def we definitely should. You as listeners should be out there look, researching that. If you guys have questions about NTAP, please reach out to us. We we um, have been building um, some. No we have a very knowledgeable team that has been building some service offerings around, like just being able to educate, explain, and help dig into your systems, looking for those missing gems of revenue that you might not be capturing. Um, but in addition, I think for just in, from a knowledge perspective that in the revenue integrity space and even in the coding space is sometimes lacking like telling a physician like hey we need you like creating smart text for a physician that says x y and z then leverages and tells the system like oh you get extra money this way or you get this you know that type of deal i think is sometimes lacking and then pharmacy departments understanding like hey that that chemo drug <laughs> For these patients with this plan, we actually should have the patient bring in their own drug. It should then go to the pharmacy to be re-verified and all of that or have or be purchasing it from that approved pharmacy for that patient, even though we're the improved uh, infuser of it. Um, because there are some sometimes those drugs aren't being covered because they didn't they're getting denied because the purchase or the supplier of the of the medication wasn't wasn't approved to come from a hospital, but it had to come from an outside pharmacy. So um, Anthem's a big, Anthem and United have several little carve out plans that are that way um, from my knowledge. Oh, like for sad drugs or whatnot. I feel like you're, you're scheduling a bunch of, bunch of visits for infusions yeah. uh, for sad drugs. And then all of a sudden nothing's getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> are you experiencing that today? <laughs> Might be a conversation I had recently. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, hey, uh, that that implant, um, while it's approved, it, it you're not you didn't build your charge master with the right seat pick code attached to it. So now you got to get that fixed, too. Yeah. Or yeah, it's impatient only. I mean, yeah. just like all this stuff that, you know, you, you think that the system is supposed to talk to each other. Well, and I think like from an EMR perspective, the system works. Right. But. There's so much knowledge that can get lost in the clinician has requests. Oh, I'm going to be providing this new service to IT collecting that request and being like, oh, here are the steps I need to do to build this to, okay, it goes RI, maybe clear some edits and gets it out the door and your billing office or your denial team works any denials or reimbursement. But there's just so much opportunity in between of thinking like, okay, cost, do I need to relook at my contract or... Um, am I flagging this right with the right codes or the right modifiers or like all, oh my goodness, it, it's, uh, I'm learning a lot these last few months and well, there's and just you, so much opportunity out there. Yeah. And then you need to actually like, while we all are, were opposed, I mean, I think most people still are, or most organizations are still very, very hesitant to post all of their pricing and all of the components with pricing transparency 
you know, as consumers, you don't see a lot of patients outside of people who work in healthcare out there shopping and looking at it. I mean, a lot of us have narrow network plans that you can only go to specific providers, especially if you work in healthcare and work for a provider. It's very rare that, you know, you have your plan that's from your employer that says, hey, you have to go to your employer. So you're really not really shopping per se out there it's it's some of more of those national plans that you know like that would cover like a coca-cola or a boeing they they have more of that capability of like doing some of that shopping but they tend to say hey i like my physician i'm gonna go where my physician has those services regardless what the cost is to me i i don't think we as consumers are quite there yet of going down the route of like where am i gonna bounce but as industry leaders you know, I can remember back in the day when I was over revenue integrity and we had we were looking at our pricing of our pharmacy meds uh, um, as we were bringing in and we were purchasing an oncology clinic that was going to come to the hospital. And what was that reimbursement model going to be modified as we converted it over to our three forty B? We actually went out and like looked at the meds, uh, the impacted population of their patients and what what were they paying for paying for their component of the price of the med? What are we projecting that they're going to pay coming over to the health system? And then what would they get in our competitors, in our in our market? And it's out there. You just have to dig a little bit to get it. But when you're looking at that reimbursement model, you, you don't want to be the top of the market. You don't want to be the bottom of the market. You kind of want to be in that middle range, but at the same time, making sure that you're recovering your the net recovery of that is going to map out. So I think... I think that level of analytics, even in our own teams, we're we're watching people from being inputters to now being analysts. And when we say analysts, not in the IT build perspective, but actually doing the number crunching, analyzing, being really those financial analysts of having to do that, but also understand the regulatory components of everything. Those are rare breeds that we are now having to start to develop. And I think, you know, Going back to the beginning of the episode, Daniel, while you come from IT originally, you're now developing those skill set and, and learning that and you're asking all the right questions of how are you doing that, that that is what our we're doing with all of our teams as they didn't grow, they didn't grow up with like, hey, here's a coding book in your hand. And I've been a coder. I, I'm not a coder, but I've been over a revenue integrity department almost my entire career in the acute world uh, in some capacity of the charge master or the compliance around it and had to learn it as we go. And, and really, it's always evolving. Every quarter it evolves, right? AMA and CMS <laughs> releases every quarter a new update. So, so it's definitely something that like from that perspective, I think, we just have to we're constantly having to make a mind a mindset shift but we have to remind the providers and and our operational peers hey we should probably relook at this reimbursement not just annually mark it up but let's like are we even achieving what our cms reimbursement rates would be are we matching those dollar thresholds or not or are we coming in a way above and it's flagging for managed care contracting and that's the other thing is going back to your contracting team and saying, okay, here's where we're losing. Um, here's where we have a big loss. We got to work on this portion because it's not the rest of it's not recovering the dollars. So. Yeah. I mean, let's do a point. reimbursement one. Absolutely. That's, 
<laughs> health insurance premiums like i mean they talk about inflation out there in the world today it's got to be like one of the, the top areas of wow. inflation is just health insurance premiums and yet at the same time anecdotally you see hospitals getting bought out or shutting down operations and it's it's not because because <laughs> i mean it's probably because they're not making money right now and it's like how do you not make money when premiums are going through the roof um interesting world i don't understand it but yeah. Fully agree. And I think if you're in, you're watching them close nonprofit organizations close, but they, they're not even making it a margin where they can cover their team and still be able to give back to their community. Um, and, that, and that's what's really sad is you're not, uh, I mean, we've seen some for profits get bought out, things of that nature, but we're seeing a lot of like nonprofits just not even being able to make it on their own now. So should we take a quick break? Yeah, that works. All right. We'll be right back. There are thousands of medical offices and facilities across America, each navigating through changing regulations and reimbursement models while striving for positive patient experiences and outcomes. A common element in each of these facilities is patient access, the front line of both the revenue cycle and the patient experience. Though diverse in facility size and geography, patient access professionals unite around a common purpose, enhancing the overall patient experience to increase patient satisfaction and outcomes. Through it all, one organization is there to educate, connect, inform, and pave the way toward the future of patient access. The National Association of Healthcare Access Management recognizes the changing role of patient access professionals and their increased importance. At Voluware, we help healthcare organizations streamline prior authorization submissions with one platform, helping you simplify, connect, integrate, and automate each part of the process. We take your pre-existing workflow and truly automate it, including the submission and verification process. The best part? Voluware automates your prior authorization processes for all of your payers, specialties, and service lines, not just some of them. Valor is built around you. Learn more at voluware.com. That's voluware.com. And we're back. All right. Thinking about the new year, I want to wrap up our episode with some exciting news for listeners. One of the pieces of news, so Patty, uh, our director of growth and development, has partnered with Naham to offer one CEU credit. And I will ask you, Evan, what CEU stands for. For listeners who venture over to the website and complete a short survey after listening to the episode. At the end of your survey, your CEU certific certificate will be displayed for you to save. That is at the wilshiregroup.net. And that's with Naham, a partnership. Evan, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So CEU is a continuing education unit. Um, so uh, a lot of uh, the certifications that Patty um, and Jackie Jordan spoke on on episode 21 um, at the beginning of their episode and what we've talked through with Naham several times now, and then uh, um, Kelly and Amanda for HFMA and different certifications that they ventured in their career um, do require CEU continuing education units or credits to be um, done every year. And then CPAs, uh, anybody who's a CPA out there. So Naham's really awesome in the sense of you don't actually even have to be a Naham member to get the CEU. 
they're what they're simply saying is, hey, go out to the Wilshire.net, um, complete the short survey, taught, and you just answer some questions about what what was the episode about. Um, what were maybe one or two of the takeaways that you got from the episode, and then you're able to print the CEU. If you're using that uh, those CEUs for your Nahum, I think you can use up to five um, podcast-related uh, CEUs towards your uh, Nahum certifications. But um, a CEU is a CEU that you can that you can leverage. So I um, wanted to share that with everybody. Thank you, Patty, for doing that. Big marketing push will be going out after the first of the year, um, and it does apply to our old episodes as well. Very fun. I know it can be hard to find CEUs, or at least ones that are fun. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I don't know about Nayham CEUs, but I know for other things that I've been a part of, it, it can be sometimes a little bit arduous. Yeah, yeah. I, I know like having to sit in a conference room for, you know, 90 minutes and then fill out a survey and you have to scan your badge in before you go and you have to scan your badge out. I mean, this way you just get to come spend, you know, an hour along with us and and listen to us rant and rant, <laughs> chit chat for a while and get, get some credit. So, well, Daniel, what are you... I'm going to mix it up because usually we'd have the Wilshire lab. And since it's our last episode of the season, I wanted to see what are you doing for the holidays for my holidays? Well, I am hopefully not focused on work and instead I'll be enjoying time with my family in Florida and then my wife's family in New Hampshire. Uh, so we'll be spending a little bit of a joint time, uh, but shooting between Florida and New Hampshire. And we also uh, made a mistake and put in an offer or a request for another puppy adoption. So potentially I'll be spending my holidays with a second puppy, but we'll see. What about you, Evan? So two puppies, two bunnies, and splitting your time through the <laughs> on the East Coast. Fun. Um, what am I doing? We're not doing a whole lot this year. Um, it's pretty low key. We'll either go to my mom's, which is just a quick drive away um or we'll host for christmas um yeah nothing nothing major i did last night though get to see uh christian chenowick in concert with the organ symphony it was amazing um so uh yeah that that's really what we're doing most of the holiday season is kind of hanging out with friends and doing some shows and things like that sticking around home pretty close usually Usually it's international travel, but we haven't quite worked our way back up to doing that yet. So feels hard. I don't know. This post COVID slump to get yourself to go on a long trip just doesn't. It's just I, I feel that I feel that a lot. Well, I think that's our time for today, Evan. Yeah. Any last thoughts? Not for me. All right. Well, everybody knows how to catch us. If you want to catch us on LinkedIn or on the Wilshire Group .net. Yep. All right. Well, bye bye. Happy holidays. If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG. Wilshire Group at TWG Health. On Facebook at the Wilshire Group. Or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts, or get additional information on today's episode, email us at Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group.com. 
www.ghostbusters.net. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group, experience you can trust, results you can count on.